Well met, friends. I'm Jude Vase. And I'm Steph Midlock. Welcome to Athrobeth, a podcast exploring the ominous oaths of Tolkien's Legendarium. Ooh. Hi, Jude. Hello. What's up, man? How's it going? Uh, okay. I am freshly not ill. And, you know, it's summer, my least favorite time of the year. (laughs) The sweatiest season. Yes. Boy, howdy. I took my dogs for a walk this morning, and it was like I took a bath. (laughs) Ew, no. Let me me tell you, I love seasons. I moved to Ohio, and the first thing I appreciated, I was so excited for seasons that I got here. I remember so distinctly, it was like one of the most humid summers on record in Ohio. It was like walking to the mailbox. You came back and your shirt was like no. damp. Ew. So I walked the dogs this morning and I came back and I was dripping wet. It was <laughs> gross. Whereas I live in a Mediterranean climate, so it's nice and dry here. But then we also are in a terrible drought. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's it's nice and dry, uh, but also sometimes on fire. Yes, yes, yes. We all have so. our things. Yeah. Well, speaking of all having our things, um, hey, I wanted to just take a minute to do a quick shout out. We got a really nice review from a user. Uh, uh, I guess this was on iTunes or whatever they call that now. Sorry, I'm very old. Uh, <clears throat> from a lovely user named Ephemeral Stardust back in April of 2022. And it was lovely and nice and it made me feel good. And I just wanted to say thank you and that I, uh, Jude and I really appreciate those reviews. Um, it helps people find us and, you know, helps people kind of know that we're not weirdos. Or maybe it tells them that we are weirdos. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. You're the best. And um, if you guys haven't done so, maybe... Maybe head on over there. Leave us a little cheeky review. Ooh. Yeah. And I also wanted to take a second to point out or just kind of give a shout out to our the Afterbeth Discord. Look, I am famously bad at using all social media, okay? We're very, Jude and I are very old. We're older than the foundations of yeah. the earth, okay? Yeah. So we're bad we at are- it. But lately it's been kind of good. It's, We've been doing we a lot. We are a small but mighty Discord. The, the Rings of Power... <laughs> is coming out very soon, and we have been energized by the various materials, but we've also had some really good fan interactions. We've got a couple of very, very passionate fans who've been yep. coming to the to the Discord and sharing More their listeners. thoughts, and we've had yeah. some yeah. Uh, some good conversation. Um, oh, yeah. So I, yeah, it's been great. I have been working my tush off lately and have not been on Discord a whole lot, but I have really been enjoying talking about the Rings of Power the last couple of days. Yeah, it's been fun. So please, if you are a person looking for some Tolkien talk, saunter on down to our our Discord. We are. Yeah, I think, and a few of us have decided we're going to like reread the Silmarillion. Where there's like about, if you're listening to this at the time where the episode drops, there's about a month until the Amazon show comes out. And so a few of us are like, maybe we should like review that. So we're going to kind of informally read it and chat about it. So come and join us. It'll be fun. Yeah. Speaking of Rings of Power, I think it might be good if we just sort of set. (laughs) <laughs> expectations yes because I, every every single Tolkien podcast every single person who creates Tolkien content is going to be talking about this show and yeah. whilst like and, and while it was really fun to talk about like the posters and stuff with you Jude and our sort of first reaction to the trailer like I think Jude and I have decided like the, the world does not need our hot takes on the show right so we're not gonna do like a big show run I don't think unless unless it brings up questions yeah if you want to hear me doing 
doing like horny episode recaps, you can go listen to a podcast of interest or the Star Trek podcasts that I do. But over here, I think we are, we have a more academic question mark course, uh, a, a smut brand than we do, than we do horny recaps. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people going to be doing it. And yeah. frankly, it's just kind of not our, our thing to do episode recaps. No, um, you frankly, guys don't want that. don't have time for that shit. Um, well, that's true too. We're both <laughs> old people. That um, but jobs, who knows, so, man, yeah. maybe we're both going to be so blown away by it. Uh, we will simply not be able to, to resist. Who yeah, knows? It, that could be. And I would say too, if you, if listeners have like questions about stuff or, you know, an interesting characters brought up or like a weird part of the legendarium kind of comes forth. Like we will certainly talk about that if you guys want us to. So let us yeah. know. Or, and like Jude and I may be picking future episode kind of oh, topics yeah. I, from things. I fully in the, expect right? that, the, the sh- yeah. that the show will inspire future topics because it's going to be yeah. touching on all kinds of interesting stuff. And I'm sure people will, there'll, there'll be things that people will be curious about that I think it will be interesting for us to cover. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just like you said, to to set some expectations, we don't at this time anticipate doing like episode recaps or anything like that. But who knows? Yeah. Come on our Discord and we'll talk about who's hot. Yeah. Yeah. So far, there is a, a definite uh, bandwagon for whoever the white robed Sauron, Sauron <laughs> person, priest. I don't know who they are, but whoever that is doing evil magic at the end of the trailer, uh, there is definitely a uh, a bandwagon for them. So I think it's going to be somebody from the cult. Uh, listen, here, okay, the other, before I say anything, I am always wrong about everything, okay? You guys know that. <laughs> You've been with me for 49 episodes. So every time I tweet anything about the show, like, hey, I think it could be this, eight people jump on me and are like, no, you're wrong. So I'm just not going to, I'm not doing hot take, <laughs> okay? Yeah. I don't. No, I get you. You guys know I don't know anything. That's my whole shtick is I know nothing. So, yes. Yeah, we'll I, so see. So if I say I'm, something, just don't listen to me. I'm really curious. Someone, I think it was the Digital Tolkien Project. <gasps> I love that. Pointed out, like, I bet we've seen, like, Sauron, like, multiple incarnations of Sauron in the trailer yeah. already. And I was Ooh. like, oh, my blow. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really hyped for the show. I Me too. I, I don't give a shit. About your your crummy opinions, just get the fuck out of here. I'm I'm hyped for the show, yeah. and if it's not great, then fine, fucking whatever. But I'm excited to see it. It looks yeah. epic, and I'm 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 on board. So, yeah, we're gonna go into it with open hearts and open minds, and uh, we hope you do the same. And but you know, it's okay not to love everything, but like, let's not shit on anything until it's come out, right? Yeah, at least give it a chance to be. Yeah, good. and give it a all chance. of the interviews that I've seen with all of the cast and all of the creators. Oh, they're so sweet. They seem. Very, very enthusiastic and energetic and informed. Hearing during the cast Q&A how many of them took the time to learn the accents and pronunciations and the histories. Elrond, the, the, the actor who plays Elrond, like, wasn't a fan, but felt compelled to, like, dive into the material and had become, like, such an enormous nerd for the material that he was, like, the other actors were, like, asking him questions on set about their characters. I think that's awesome. I, I think that really shows that the 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 atmosphere on the set was very respectful of the material. So absolutely, I especially yeah. Uh, well, I think Elrond said I think that kid, that kid who has the most beautiful like I think Northern British accent. He's always oh, so amazed at his all. Oh, it's from the north. Yeah, um, yeah. He like you know had read Lord of the Rings but hadn't do- div- like dove into the legendarium. Yeah. So that was really cool. But I gotta say like Disa. 
um, who is played by Sofia Nomvete, like has my heart. She's amazing. I cannot yeah. wait. Like, yeah, no, there was, uh, if wow. you haven't she checked out the, she was the, so the cast amazing. Q&As, I didn't love the format that they did it, spreading it across three platforms. Ooh, I hated that too. But yeah. the cast Q&As <laughs> were super interesting. Yes. Um, and there was a lot of great tidbits. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, anyway. me too. And now we just said we were going to talk about it and now we're talking about it. So let's, okay, let's come back onto the path. We're coming back onto the thing. Yeah. We've got many promised paths to tread. So let's begin. All right. This week. This month. Yeah. This month, we are talking about oaths. Oh, wow. Oath, wow. We have talked about that in the past, a little bit in passing. We dunk on Feanor plenty, so the topic of uh, the the Oath of Feanor uh, has come up many times. But we wanted to dive in because there's a lot of them in the Legendarium, and they are unusually functional, I think is how I want to put it, in the Ooh, Legendarium. That's a great way to describe them. They they do narrative and like they work in 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 unusual ways. It's not they're not just like you promised. They have consequences that are much yes. more manifest and active in the world than in a lot of other places. So I think they're very interesting to talk about. So I am going to turn it over to you, Steph, because you did some interesting background research into how other material that Tolkien probably was familiar with and, and sort of context material that I found really interesting. So please. Well, thanks. You know, I wanted to start with just to get us all on the same page, like what is an oath, right? Because I swear to God, if you don't know what an oath, I'll see what I just did there. See what that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> Nobody thinks that's funny. Well, all right. So I'll do like, all right. The freaking Merriam-Webster dictionary says an oath is a solemn, usually formal calling upon God or a god, to witness the truth of what one says, or to witness that one sincerely intends to do what one says. Uh, the, okay, right? The invocation of God is interesting there. I want to call yeah. that out. I Normally, like, the whole, like, dictionary definitions thing is is sort of a trope in, like, college essays. Yeah. But I'm actually oh, yeah, glad, I'm really glad you did it, because that that, the formal invocation of a god is something that is, in particular regards to the Yotha fan or something that's going to come up. So I want to highlight that that's a, a feature that is considered typical of an oath. Absolutely. And is not typical of oaths in Tolkien's Legendarium. So, mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. So that's kind of where it splits. Well, so keep that in your back pocket. There's a really nifty paper by a gentleman named John Spur. It came out back in 2000, so it's a little bit older now. It's called A Profane History of Early Modern Oaths. And in that paper, Spur, the author, recounts a very old sermon that was given by, like, I don't know, some clergyman in York back in 1757 where this clergyman like calls this out and I wanted to read it because it's really interesting so this old timey clergyman says an oath is a sacred thing an act of religion and an invocation of the name of God in all cases a man doth virtually call God to witness and in doing so he doth by consequence invoke him as a judge and an avenger In case what he says be not true, 
a curse upon ourselves is always implied in the case of perjury. And the author then goes, in short, an oath is a provisional self-curse. And I really <laughs> thought you would like that. Yeah, that's very <laughs> funny. And boy, like super the fuck on point for what we're talking about here. Yep. I would, if you told me that Tolkien had had like read that sermon, I'd be like, mm-hmm, yep, that tracks. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%, I believe that. I love that. So let's all keep in mind an oath is a provisional self-curse because that is going, that is exactly kind of where this road is going in, in, in some cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's people, you know, we, we know oaths uh, from literature throughout history. I mean, they're, they're a big deal, right? There's, um, yeah. there's one, there's a bunch actually in the poetic Edda, one really interesting one where an oath is sworn upon weapons. And if the oath is not fulfilled, the weapons will like turn back against their users and will cut them down. And that's also something that you might've remembered if you read the children of Hurin, yeah. right? Cause our friend Turin, Tur uh, what's his name? Turinbar. Yeah, Turin Turinbar has that exact same problem. Um, yeah. yeah, but there's yeah, there's actually like a very cool master's thesis that I found from 2017 called Oath Formulas in the Poetic Edda. It's by Jacob Robert Rice, and he goes through specifically like four examples from the Poetic Edda of these like different kind of. And basically, he figures out that there is like an actual in the Poetic Edda at least there is like a formula of like person has a thing, a problem, like then they swear an oath, then there's a consequence, then it's, it's like a, and it oh, happens every single time. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool thing. So if anybody wants that, like I think it's behind a paywall, but maybe I could help you find it. Um, yeah. Yeah, very cool. But anyway, so I, I just wanted to set the stage a little bit before we get into this, because as yeah. Jude said, yeah, it comes up all the time in the Legendarium. How fascinating. Yeah, and we know that Tolkien would have been intimately familiar with the Edda, so mm -hmm. there's no way that he... That would not have been floating around in his cook pot of ideas when he was when he was brewing the tales of of the legendarium. So, absolutely. So, as we dive in here, the oaths that we're going to be going through, there's a bunch of them. I've split them into a couple of groups. There are the oaths that go okay. <laughs> there are the oaths that do not go okay. Oh, no. And then there's one that I have called the the split. No. Oh. Because it's one oath and sworn by two people and for one person it's fine. It's a it's 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 a it's a nothing burger. And for the other one, boy does it not go great. <laughs> so, we're going to we're going to go through them in that order. Perfect. I love that. Yeah, thematic. That's great. Yeah. So, let's start with the O's that go okay. Sure, let's start on a high note. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the first of those is the Oath of Elendil. Ooh. Uh, this is the oath sworn by Elendil, oddly enough. In Quenya, he says, Et erello endorena utilien, sinome maruvan ar hildinyar ten ambar metta. Out of the great sea to Middle-earth I am come. In this place I will abide and my heirs unto the ending of the world. That was beautiful. So just Thank to you. remind everybody, Elendil is the dude from Numenor. He is the guy of the faithful, and he's Aragorn's billion times great-grandfather. Yeah, he is, specifically, he is Isildur's father. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah. when we talk about, like, Isildur's bane and stuff like that, Elendil yeah. is his father, and it is 
his sword that is broken mm-hmm. that then Isildur chops the ring from Sauron's hand with. Right. So he's a very important dude. So he makes yeah. this, so he says these beautiful words and, and tell us about like, wh- why is he saying this? What's happening? So he is, this is basically his oath establishing a kingdom in Middle-earth for his heirs. And he is saying that my, my line will abide here until the end of time. And this is an important oath because it is this oath that sort of is what establishes Aragorn's lineage to be king. It's basically just, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting one in that it doesn't have a specific outcome, except that Aragorn does in fact become alive and sticks around. But it, it's, a, it's a powerful one because he's basically saying that I am going to be here and fight for this place and my line will remain. And we see that yeah. that works out for him. I mean, other than the fact that he dies uh, fighting Sauron, but right. the the consequence is that his line is there at the end yeah. of the Third Age. Aragorn is king and ushers in the Fourth Age. So it's an interesting one too because every you know, as we know in Gondor, whilst there was no king, there was that line of ruling stewards, right? So like this guy came to the shore declared, blah, we're here, jazz hands, and we're going to yeah. rule this until the thing. And everyone else was like, okay, right? Like nobody, well, I mean, there were, of course, there were times where people are trying to usurp things. I mean, there's a long history there. But it's just very interesting that, yeah, that even throughout like all the years of kingless st- state of Gondor, eventually, everyone knew it was good. There, there's a, there's like a certain reach of faith that yeah. that is sown right here in this moment that I think is really really nice. It's noteworthy particularly because it is also the words it, these words are repeated when Aragorn takes up the crown of uh Gondor as King Elisar at the dawn of the fourth age when he becomes the king he repeats these words and in the films you may remember there is a scene at the you know at the top of the city where Viggo Mortensen has this famous scene where he is singing in Quenya. This is what he's singing. He is singing the Oath of Elendil. That's so cool. That's he so still cool. What knows a great it because he's awesome. Yeah, um, he really is. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, he still wow. to this day is is occasionally called upon to to re- recite that that line, and he can still do it. Well, yeah, I mean, once you're king, you can't forget that, you know? (laughs) Yep. So that's the first one. The second is Gondor adjacent as well. Sure. And also horse adjacent. So (laughs) I know I have Steph's attention. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know. I was not prepared for that. (laughs) (laughs) We are unbridled here. Okay. Easy now. Okay. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> whoa now. Yeah. Uh, this is the Oath of Errol, or also known as the Oath of Sirion. This was an oath sworn between Gondor and Rohan that basically made them bros for life. Yeah. And it goes like so. Hear now all peoples who bow not to the shadow in the east. By the gift of the Lord of Mundberg, we will come to dwell in the land that he names Kalandaron. And therefore I vow in my own name and on behalf of the Eothid and of the North that between us and the great peoples of the West there shall be friendship forever. Their enemies shall be our enemies. Their need shall be our need. 
And whatsoever evil or threat or assault may come upon them, we will aid them to the utmost end of our strength. This vow shall descend to my heirs, all such as may come after me in our new land, and let them keep it in faith unbroken, lest the shadow fall upon them and they become accursed. And then the Gondorian component of this oath, Syrian, who was the Gondorian king at the time. He was the steward, yeah. The steward at the time, sorry, replied, uh, added his own component, which was, Vandasina Termaruva Elena Norio Alcara Enyalian Arailenda Vorondo Voronwe Naitiruvantes i Harar Mahalmasan Minuman Ariu Eru i Or Ilie Mahalmar Eatenorio. Which translates to This oath shall stand in memory of the glory of the land of the star and of the faith of Elendil the faithful in the keeping of those who sit upon the thrones of the West and of the one who is above all thrones forever. That's, that was beautiful, dude. Nice job Thank reading you. that. I think this is this is a great example of one because this is one where because these people keep to the oath, Theoden rides to honors the oath in that famous scene where he, you know, ride now, oaths are fulfilled, all that stuff. Right. Because he does that, his people are saved from the shadow and it, the oath is fulfilled mm. and his people yeah. are saved from the shadow. It's very directly fulfilled. It is. That's true. There, and there's, then, we talk about this. Uh, we talked about this oath a ton in the Ro- the history of Rohan episodes because yeah. there's actually like a lot of examples of Rohan fulfilling this oath over over time. Yeah. So we won't we don't need to go into them because obviously the the Theoden one is the most important. But if you're interested, go back and listen to those episodes because yeah yeah it's not it would it would not be that you know that was not the first or last time that yeah. they that they upheld that. I think too it's the the location. Where this was sworn is also important. This was sworn on the Hilfirian Hill, which is the site of the tomb of Elendil. So they're standing right at the tomb of yeah. kind of the first king of this land and and making this like beautiful yeah. gesture to each other. And and that and that hill was a uh, kind of secret, like not everybody went there, and so it was very special yeah. that uh, Sirion brought Aorol and his folks up there. So yeah, it's just yeah. very cool. It's a great moment, and boy, yeah, you're right. The payoff is so awesome. Yeah, it's so great. I also like yeah. that, and we this is more of a, a topic for Air, a, an episode about Aragorn. In another incident of Aragorn, like in the Fourth Age, as he establishes his kingdom, rebinding his himself to the legacy. Of, of, Gondor, of Gondor of those times past, Aragorn brings Eomer up, you know, back up there and they re, re-swear that oath. And I love that. I mean, again, this is like a, a topic for another episode, but I, I really like that Aragorn is re-swearing these oaths, rebinding himself to the legacy of his forebears and to Gondor. I think that's dope as hell. Uh, yeah. And I it's- think that's really cool. I, I absolutely agree with you. This is a great example of a partnership, an oath that's based on a partnership that's mutually beneficial, right? Yeah. Because 
uh, Rohan, the guy, the uh, the Aotheod of the north, right? They were sort of way up high in the Grey Mountains, and so they are getting this great piece of land. And Gondor is getting basically a block between the a Easterlings, yeah. right? And 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 them, and they're like, and because the, this is like the northern part of their kingdom. So it's I think this oath works so well because it proves to be mutually beneficial for such a long time, and. Um, and I think that's what's maybe missing in some of these other oaths, right? I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. I, of course, you know me as a Rohan stan. I I love I love this one. And uh, to be a fly upon the wall, how interesting that would be. Yeah. No, hundred percent agree. Yeah. Last in the oaths that go okay is what's referred <laughs> to as Faramir's test. Mm. This takes place in a scene in the scene where Faramir has intercepted Sam and Frodo. And he's referring to the, the one ring, and he says, I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway. Not were Minas Tirith falling in ruin, and I alone could save her. So, using the weapon of the Dark Lord for her good and my glory. No, I do not wish such triumphs. It doesn't sound like an oath, right? Right. It's not but traditionally it, an oath. You're not, he's not swearing on something. But it is something. But it, it it kind of functions like one because he doesn't when he's saying this, he doesn't know that Frodo has it. Right. They're right. discussing it, but he is he's sort of swearing on his character that he does not yep. he would not take this thing, and he's tested this oath is tested shortly thereafter, and it specifically is contrasted against his brother's reaction to the ring. And he is, and he passes that. He he abides by his oath. He, it's part of what makes book Faramir so good. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's one of the, one thing that people often cite uh, in, in discontent with the films is book Faramir never wavers from that. He, He never doubts that the right thing to do is to just be like, nope, don't want it. Not a thing. So I, I, I think that's a great example of someone who, yeah, him and his brother are a great example of the consequences of of the temptation of the ring. He swears that he would not use the ring, were he even were he, were it laying by the highway, he would not right. pick it up and use it. And when he is tempted by it, he abides by that, and the consequences are that he remains unsullied by it, mm-hmm. and he has great success. And he, you know, his life goes well as a consequence. Yeah. You know, uh, at, that, at a minimum, he, he does not get turned into a, a porcupine. Um, <laughs> I like, I like, so after he, after basically Sam lets it slip that they, that the weapon of the enemy is there, that they have it. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I think what you're talking about when he's, he's tested sort of immediately. Right. And he, he, re, and in a later speech, he says, he 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 sort of recalls what he had said earlier in the chapter. He says, "Not if I found it on the highway would I take it." I said, "Even if I were such a man as to desire this thing, and even though I knew not clearly what this thing was when I spoke, still I should take those words as such a vow and be held by them." I love that. I just think, yeah. yeah, like that's yeah. so cool. Like he is kind of saying, like, yeah, this is my vow. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's the best. He's the best. And then I don't know. He just yeah, that's a wonderful 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 chapter. That is the yeah. window on the west, two towers before chapter 5 and he's just yeah. like the coolest dude in the world. Yeah. So not so not maybe a traditional 
oath, but yeah. one that we do see like his the goodness of Faramir, as you say, does pay off, right? Because in the end, he gets he gets to marry his love. He gets to rebuild Athelion, right? Like that's yeah. that's dope. Like, and he has he he yeah he profit not profits, but like he's rewarded. I don't even think it's that he's rewarded. I think it's mm. specifically that he lives a a good, fulfilled life because of who his, what his character is. And his character is proven in this moment. Yeah. I think that's it's, what it really shows, is that this is who he is. And at the later events bear out that he he has, you know, a successful life because of who he is. So... It gives us all hope, doesn't it? That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So now we have some oaths that don't go so great. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So we're going to start with the Oath of Feanor. Okay. Now, we've talked about Feanor a lot, but let's give just a little bit of background on this before you launch into it. Because yes. it's important to understand Feanor's predicament and all the things before... Yes. Or else the oath will not make sense, right? Yeah. So Feanor, Feanor is, is a big elf. butthole. <laughs> uh, Feanor is the son of Finway, the emissary of the of the Noldor to Valinor. He is the first son of Finway. He has two younger brothers by Finway's second wife, which is a source of some contention. And he is a, the greatest craftsman of the Noldor. He forges three gems called the Silmarils, which contain within them the light of the two trees. And after the two trees are extinguished by a weird fucking spider that nobody, that Tolkien never really explains, <laughs> uh, and Melkor, Melkor steals the jewels and Feanor is asked whether he will surrender them and he refuses. Before they get stolen. Before yeah. they get stolen. Uh, before he even knows they've been stolen, he is asked to surrender them and he refuses. And when he discovers they've been stolen, he rallies the Noldor to return to Middle-earth to avenge his father, who has been killed in that theft, and take back Middle-earth, which he believes is their, their birthright. So we have a couple of versions of this vow. The first version that I want to read is from, let's see, where is this version from? Let me read. Why don't I read the one from the Quintus Silmarillion, right? Yeah, please. Just because that will give us a little bit of background, and then Context, you read the, yeah. the actual. Because I think this one would be more accessible to more people. So, yeah. in the Quintus Silmarillion, which is the second part of the Silmarillion book, chapter nine, the flight of the Noldor. Here's what happens. So basically, he's got the he's got he's trying to he's trying to he's rallying some Noldor around him. He's we, we he's speaking big fancy words, and he's getting everybody ready to go. And he says, Then Feanor swore a terrible oath. His seven sons leapt straight away to his side and took the selfsame vow together, and red as blood shone their drawn swords in the glare of the torches. They swore an oath which none shall break and none should take by the name even of Ilavater, calling the everlasting dark upon them if they kept it not. And Manway they named in witness, and Varda, and in the hallowed mountain of Taniquetel, vowing to pursue with vengeance and hatred to the ends of the world, Vala, demon, elf, or man, as yet unborn, or any creature, great or small, good or evil, that time should bring forth unto the end of days, 
whoso should hold or take or keep a Silmaril from their possession. Bleh, 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 bleh. Fucking overkill extra <laughs> ass oath. And I, I do want to point out, we talked before about how the oath specifically invokes gods. Yes. Some of the oaths above that went well did do that. Specifically, the the oath of Aoral does that. But boy, they not just invoking Arrow here. They're like daring him. Yeah. Basically. Right. The version in the Annals of Amon is not substantially different, just a little more poetic. So I'll read that real fast. Yeah, please. Be he foe or friend, be he foul or clean, brood of Morgoth or bright Vala, Elda or Maya or aftercomer, man yet unborn upon Middle-earth, neither law nor love nor league of swords, dread nor danger nor not doom itself, shall defend him from Feanor and Feanor's kin, whoso hideth or hoardeth or in hand taketh, finding keepeth or afar casteth a Silmaril, this swear we all, death we will deal him, Ere day's ending, woe unto world's end, our word hear thou, Eru Allfather, to the everlasting darkness doom us, if our deed faileth. On the holy mountain hear in witness, and our vow remember, Manway and Varda. Damn! Yeah. I mean, that one, that is like from their voices directly, right? Yeah. He and his sons. Like, that's, that's a, yeah, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. So, like, damn. Um <laughs> And let's talk about how badly this goes. Sure. Yeah. So, so, and I think it's important just to reiterate that his seven sons also swear this immediately. And it says, Thus spoke Madros and Maglor and Kelegorm and Kurafin and Carathir, Amrod and Amras, princes of the Naldor, and many quailed to hear the dreaded words, for so soon, good or evil, an oath may not be broken. And it shall pursue Oathkeeper and Oathbreaker to the world's end. So remember that now, so not yeah. only Feanor, but his sons and a lot of other people are getting involved in this. Yeah. So the first thing I want to read is as the Noldor are leaving Valinor to go to Middle-earth, they are stopped on the way by Mandos. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. Mandos declares something called the Doom of Mandos. Yes. Which is a sort of a, a rebuttal. To the oath, so to speak. So that happens after the first kinslaying, right? Yeah, after the kinslaying. Yeah, right. And he says, Tears unnumbered ye shall shed, and the Valar will fence Valinor against you and shut you out, so that not even the echo of your lamentations shall pass over the mountains. On the house of Feanor, the wrath of the Valar lieth from the west unto the utmost east, and upon all that will follow them it shall be laid also. Their oath shall drive them and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil end shall all things turn that they begin well. And by treason of kin unto kin, and the fear of treason, shall this come to pass. The dispossessed shall they be forever. Yeah. And Feanor's reaction to this is basically like throwing the double birds and being like, whatever, <laughs> doomsayer. So what happens? Well... Feanor gets to Middle-earth and promptly, like, more or less, the second he gets there, mm. goes fucking off into a fight and gets himself killed, which I think <laughs> is fucking hilarious. But, like, Aww. what a way to go, you yuts. Uh, <laughs> leaving his seven sons to carry out his oath without their hot-headed butthole father. And sure enough, they're set, these 
these seven idiots will pursue this oath across yes. thousands of years and it will kill all of them. Yep. It will. Well, I, I mean, except Maglor, except Maglor. Well, whatever. I mean, debatable, but yes. Debatable, debatable. It will take all of their lives in one form or another. They will kill many, many elves. Many elves, yep. Elves and men, good people, many of yeah. them. The most notorious of these being the Sack of the Havens, when they yes. learn that there are Silmarils at the Havens, at yep. the Grey Havens, um, they will come in and... It's actually the Mouths of Sirion. The yeah. Mouths of Sirion, sorry. That's okay. Grey Havens is later. They destroy that location to yeah. retake the Silmarils and take Elrond and Elros captive. Uh, Madros and Maglor do. Yep, the two eldest sons, yep. Yeah, and they're the only ones who survive. All the other siblings that have survived to that point are killed in the taking of the Havens. Yes, and yes, they discover, the only sons of Feanor to survive, yep. They discover mm -hmm. that the sins they have committed to get the Silmarils has made them too impure to hold them. Because they hold the light of the trees, they cannot bear to hold the Silmarils any, any longer. Mm. which is like, what a fucking burn to like have done all these things and now you can't even hold them because of it. Yes, yes. The, and what, what Jude is alluding to are, these are the, the three kin slayings, right, that happened from the elves. We don't have to go into them now, but they're like, I think maybe I'll do a Steph Shorts about them because they're so cool. Yes, and like a lot of extra stuff happens basically. Like, I mean, the, the whole war... Yeah. Like a yeah, but in the end, yeah, in the end, when they finally, when the two remaining sons, the two eldest sons, finally get their dirty little mitts on them after all that they've done, after all the pain that they've caused, yeah, Jude's right. They cannot. They they are burned by by these jewels, right? Yeah, and in the end, Madros throws himself into a crack in the earth with one of them. Yep, and Maglor casts the last one into the sea. Yeah. And and wanders by mark. the sea forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of it's dark, man. I mean, and the only reason I feel like the only reason Maglor didn't also meet a terrible end was because when baby Elrond and Elros were stolen, right, the brothers uh, after the third kinsling, he was the one who sort of took care of them, and like he ended yeah. up liking them, and they had a nice little sort of weird. <laughs> like Stockholm syndromed family unit. So yeah. like, yeah, he was the least bad of all the brothers, but yeah. So like he kind of just like, yeah, he was cursed to kind of wander, never returning to the yeah, elves his... again. He could still be out there for all we know. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, he didn't get a good outcome. He just got like the least bad of all of his brothers. Yeah. So safe to say that oath went poorly for like, everyone yeah. yeah and can i so can i can i read those so like yeah so madros and so so here's what it says uh in the silmarillion about madros and being in anguish and despair he cast himself into a gaping chasm filled with fire and so ended and the silmaril that he bore was taken into the bosom of the earth i really like this part of the silmarillion where it says and thus it came to pass that the silmarils found their long home one in the airs of heaven and one in the fires of the heart of the world and one in the deep waters and then it says something like and night and they three will not come back together or else it'll like break the world right it's so cool yeah. it's so cool but basically yep. yeah this fucking oath 
like for thousands of years had these horrible ripple effects and killed everybody. And in the end, like they didn't, they didn't end up doing the thing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or did they? I mean, I guess they got them in the end, but it brought them no joy. Fuck Feanor. And then we have a quote here about the oath that is kind of a a good sort of transition to the next one I want to talk about, which is the oath of Felagund. Mm -hmm. This quote is Finrod Felagund speaking to Baron. And he says, it is plain that Thingol desires your death, but it seems that this doom goes beyond his purpose and that the oath of Feanor is again at work. For the Silmarils are cursed with an oath of hatred, and he that even names them in desire moves a great power from slumber. And the sons of Feanor would lay all the elf kingdoms in ruin rather than suffer any other than themselves to win or possess a Silmaril, for the oath drives them. And now Caligorm and Kurofin are dwelling in my halls, and though I, Finarfin's son, am king, they have won a strong power in the realm and lead many of their own people. They have shown friendship to me in every need, but I fear that they will show neither love nor mercy to you if your quest be told. Yet my own oath holds, and thus we are all ensnared. Yeah, and I think, and I think, now question for you, when he says, and my own oath holds, that is the oath that he swore, the oath of friendship that he swore to Barra here, right? So we're going to talk about that next. We're going to talk about that one here. Put a pin in it. Whoa. What I want to talk about here is the Mm. idea that he's actively aware of the agency of this oath. Right. He's not, the, 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 the agency of the oath is not a narrative thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like we reading the story see the oath moving people and moving things around. It is within the world. Finrod is is saying, "Oh, you fucking said the Silmarils out loud. Here comes fucking Voldemort." Like, yep. <laughs> you know, like it's Ugh. it is a thing that actively people recognize as a force with agency that yes. that occurs and. They recognize the curse of it. And it's like, why? I mean, you have to ask, Finrod, my my boy, why would you even let Kelegorm and Kurofin into your kingdom with that hanging over them? Right. That seems like a dumb move. But also, they're the sons of Feanor. They're like, arguably, your elders. Like, you really, you know, they should have the kingship. Except not. But. <laughs> he's in a rock and a hard place, absolutely. Especially because he's in a cave. But a bunch. But also, but he, as he says, they've shown him friendship in every need, right. uh, you know, and they're also fighting a war against a fucking God. So maybe, you right. know, you don't be too picky about your friends, but also they are well aware of how this oath operates and how dread the consequences of it are. Yep. And I think maybe he's thinking, and as he's saying here, like, well, I sort of figured I would just never fuck with Silmarils and I'd be fine. But now we're hosed because I swore an oath to you, Barahir. Your father, yeah. And now you show up at my door, and you want a Silmarils, and I'm and I'm fucked. And and now what's we're- so annoying is that like Baron didn't really want a Silmaril. It was stupid Thingle, the father yeah. of uh Luthien um yeah Luthien his like Baron's lover right. He wanted to yeah. marry Luthien. And that's that's another oath that we actually I don't have on this list really, but sure Thingle swears an oath that if Baron can deliver him a Silmaril, he can have Luthien's hand in marriage. Right. Putting aside the fact that women aren't property and right. it's not really Thingol's <laughs> yeah. fucking place to say who, who Luthien marries. 
And Melian really should have fucking spoken up because she's a goddamn demigod. And maybe she should have told her bitch fucking husband to go (laughs) stick it in his cave. I am never going to get off my horse that like Melian could have done better and Thingol should have fucked off into the back of his cave. Wank with the moss. Um, That's a whole other story. That's a whole other episode. I fucking hate Thingol. I know. We should do a dunking on Thingol episode, I think. I don't know if my blood pressure can handle that. (laughs) I might dislike Thingol more than Feanor because I can, I get Feanor. (gasps) Whoa. Like, I don't, he's not a sympathetic character to me. Like, I, I know that there's a lot of people that, like, empathize with Feanor and his sons. Like, not to me, but I get it. He's passionate. He's pursuing something. He swears this oath and then he feels bound by it. Thingol's just a son of a bitch. Yeah, he's he just is. an asshole. Yeah, there's nothing going on with him. There's nothing noble about <laughs> just being a guy that is a stubborn butt. That's all Thingol's got going for him. He's like well, prideful, and he married up. That's um, he's, it. <laughs> he's, he's new money. Listen, here's the thing, though. Thingol, you could devil's advocate say that Thingol has fallen under the doom of Mandos as well because Thingol wanted the Silmaril, right? So. As you just said, with with Baron wanting the Silmaril, Thingol wanting the Silmaril already poked the bear of this oath curse, right? 100%. And so that's why, in the end, he ends up, like, dead because of that fucking Silmaril. he's already a dick. Well, I know, but I'm just saying. Thingol's buttholiestness is is (laughs) expansive, and (laughs) the fact that he wants a Silmaril is, he doesn't want a Silmaril because he wants a Silmaril. He wants a Silmaril because he's naming an impossible task. Yeah. No, it's for, true. It's true. He, he like, I mean, if, I, if he could equally have said, I want you to like, you know, bring me this, the sandal of the sun or something like that. <laughs> like he's naming an impossible task because he's basically telling Baron to fuck off. Well, and not, Baron but is not like, only that, he's, t- he's telling Baron that like, I hope you die. Right, because he knows, just like you just said with Finrod Filligan, everybody knows that oh, if you yeah. fuck with the Silmarils, you're gonna you're gonna get the hammer, right? And so yeah. he's basically telling his like, you know, his daughter's bow, like, I hope you die, man. Yeah, I, you're gonna die. Not you I hope you die. Thing, so you I die. challenge you to die. I am yeah. invoking death <laughs> all upon you and ev- and myself. I'm yeah. challenging you to to bring death on us all. Yep. And Baron's like, come at me, bro. And if only everybody had listened to Melian, who said, beware the sons of Feanor, but nobody listens to me. That's the other thing. Nobody listens to Melian. Melian was farsighted, and she said, this is a bad idea, but nobody well, listens to me- her. Maybe so. Melian should have ha- had a better, she's farsighted. Maybe she should have had better fucking taste in men. Oh, my God. We cannot help with the heart watch, Jude. <laughs> All right. Sorry. We're straying she's, she's too far. She's literally a divine being. I, I do not believe she doesn't have hormones. Her body is a... When she met Thingol, her body was body literally a, a shell. Hand. It was like just a piece what? of clothing. No hormones. No but no weird inside, chemicals pumping through her body. Inside. Telling yes. her brain to, do, to make poor decisions. Well, but they stood in the field for many years looking at each other. There must have been something happening, you know? Well... <sighs> okay, anyway, I have <laughs> thoroughly derailed this episode hating okay. Thingol. Okay, um, sorry, sorry, so sorry, we're back. Let's we're talk back. about oh, the Oath of Feligand. Okay, Finrod, yes, let's move on. best elf Feligand, brother of Galadriel. Jude loves Finrod. I, I do love Finrod. Finrod is the 
best. He discovered he's humans. Best he's a, a a a good boy. Uh, he's a sweet cheese. He's a yeah. good time boy. Okay, uh, this is an oath that it doesn't. It's not like it goes bad. Yes, it does. I mean, it does, but it's not like <laughs> it's not like it brings an entire people to ruin. It doesn't cause a kinslaying. It's just it puts. It. I mean, it kills Finrod. But like, spoilers. It also because of because of yeah. his oath. Yeah. You get the 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 birth of Eärendil and the end of the War of Wrath. So, like, there's a way of looking at it as, like, <laughs> anyway. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's this talk about what this oath is. This oath is different than many of these other oaths because it was sworn. It wasn't sworn like Feanor in hatred. It was sworn uh, in friendship, right? Yeah. So you're starting off on a much better foot. Now, it still has dire consequences, but at least it's starting from a more pure point, right? Yeah. So tell us about how it got started. So, Finrod is the king of Nargothrond, mm-hmm. and he, at the Dagor Bragalach is up shit creek. He so is, that is, so, so hold on, the, the Dragor Bragolach is the Battle of Sudden Flame. It's the fourth great battle in the wars of yeah. Beleriand between Morgoth and the Noldor. And yeah, Nargothrond, which, that he just said, is a, is a, is a city uh, at the uh, under the under the the banks of the kingdom. river Narog in Beleriand that was ruled yeah. by Finrod. Okay. The, the Dagor Bragolach is when there was a long period of peace, and then all of a sudden Morgoth's forces just bust through and just wreck everything. Right, very bad. Finrod is is finds himself in the battle severely fucked, and he is saved by Barahir of the House of Beor. And in great ingratitude, he swears an oath of abiding friendship and aid in every need to Barahir and all his kin. And in token of his vow, he gave Barahir his ring. That's from the Quintus Silmarillion, the ruin of Beleriand and the fall of Engulfin. And that's the ring that we see our buddy Aragorn wearing. Yeah, it is two two snakes with emerald eyes wreathed in golden leaves. Yeah, the ring of Barahir is is, is what it is. Is how it's referred to later on. And Aragorn right. wears it as a descendant of Baron because mm-hmm. the, the children, so Baron is, is Barahir's son yep. and he will invoke this oath to, to get Finrod's aid when Baron is challenged by the aforementioned bag of limp spaghetti Thingol to get a, to get a Silmaril to win Luthien's <laughs> hand. Sorry. Their child will go on to marry another half-elven, and the result will be Eärendil. Is that right? Or am I, am I no, one generation shy? I thought, I thought Baron and Luthien's son was Dior. Yeah, right? Dior. And, and, and then Dior, Dior marries, what's her name? Yeah, and has a daughter, Elwing. And oh, that's Elwing right, Elwing. is Elrond and Elrose's Ross's mom. Mom, right. Yeah. So anyway, my point is, Baron is a, Baron is, is one of the top, is, is one of the sort of the foundation of the, the the pyramid of of the half elven that leads to the foundation of Numenor, yeah. and the line that gives us Aragorn, and also the birth of of Elrond, and these are crucial people to the end of the War of Wrath, and the you know the the foundation of Numenor and the Third Age, and yeah, hugely important. Yeah, hugely important. So not unlike Faramir, it is a demonstration of his character that although it 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 takes his life 
Finrod upholds his oath. Yep. And I think that's yeah. very powerful. And it's also noteworthy. I, w- I want to point out that Finrod, because of who he is and how noble he was in life, he basically gets to the halls of Mandos. After he dies. Puts on a new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Takes a sip of water and is back in a body like that. Really? Okay. And that's that's rare. Yeah. No, it's extraordinarily rare. He is reincarnated almost immediately. Wow. Which is extraordinarily wow. rare. He, he and Glorfindel were two, like two of the only elves. They're the, they're the only elves who are, who are named as having been reincarnated. Mm. Uh, and it's it's uh, stated that his reincarnation was very fat, was very very quick because of how noble of a, of a individual he was. That's and in cool. the the Lay of Lathian, he it is stated that he and and in the Silmarillion, in the Lay of Lathian, it's said that he walks with his uh, with Amari, Amarie, yeah, uh, the the woman he was in love with, and the reason why he never took a wife in Middle Earth. Um, right. The Silmarillion says that he walks with his father, mm. but safe to say he lived a noble enough life. He got he got the good ending, yeah. That he yeah he he yeah. was returned to to life almost immediately. He yeah. was reincarnated almost immediately as a reward for I, not even as a reward. I don't think. I think mostly because he was as a you know to preserve him for how how good he was. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But it's like but. That being said, like he still swore this oath and and he had to honor it, even though like he himself would never have gone for a Silmaril. When Baron came yeah. and asked for help, he said, absolutely, I'll help you, because that's the kind of totally cool, awesome guy that he was. And unfortunately, like, yeah, that quest led to his death. And yep. I mean, it's great that he got the good ending in the end. But like, man, what yep. a, the world, what, what could Middle Earth have been had he had more time? Right. Like, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So even though it's like an oath that was sworn in a good, in, in like a nice kind of, for, for good, it ended up being bad in the end, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I guess this really, I guess theoretically this could have gone under the mixed bags. Yeah. But No, it, but I, I, mean, I think you're right. It does kill him. Yeah. Which sucks. It sucks. But, but also, in you know, his character is good enough. That even though it kills him, he kind of comes out of it all right. So you know, and but here's I wonder. Here's the thing. Ooh, I just had this thought. He dies in the basement of the. So like, yeah, they go to like look for he. He had built a tower in his younger days. He dies in the very tower that he was building after being like uh, that he had built after being torn apart by fucking werewolves. Like that's not the ending of fucking Finrod Feligan, this amazing person who did all these cool things and like yeah, led people in main cities. Like he werewolves. should not have died in the dark by himself like what the fuck like that yeah, is such that's a shitty, a shitty way to die yeah yeah it's not fair you know no. anyway heat more speaking of not fair let's talk about ghosts i that's a weird transition i think they kind of <laughs> get what they had coming to them <gasps> uh the I, dead I, men I of dunharo are who we're talking about now these are the the uh individuals who were notoriously depicted as green army ant ghosts that swarm <laughs> over elephants in the movies. Um, yes. Not my favorite part Olyphants. of the adaptations. I like their king guy, but otherwise. Anyway, so who are the dead men of Don Haro? Well, funny that you ask. I happen I to have ask. notes about that. Ooh, uh, they were Northmen 
related no, to Dunlendings. Uh, they were men of the White Mountains. They were not Northmen. Sorry, they, men of the White Mountains. Okay, thank you. They were the folk of Haleth. Yes. So they were Easterners, so to speak. In the Second Age, they swore an oath to Isildur that they would come and fight for Isildur against Sauron. Uh, I have a quote specifically about this. Ooh, I love a quote. But the oath that they broke was to fight against Sauron, and they must fight therefore if they are to fulfill it. For at Erech there stands yet a black stone that was brought, it was said, from Numenor by Isildur, and it was set upon a hill, and upon it the king of the mountains swore allegiance to him in the beginning of the realm of Gondor. But when Sauron returned and grew in might again, Isildur summoned the men of the mountains to fulfill their oath, and they would not, for they had worshipped Sauron in the dark years. Uh Then Isildur said to their king, Thou shalt be the last king, and if the west prove mightier than thy, thy black master, this curse I lay upon thee and thy folk to never rest until your oath is fulfilled. For this war will last through years uncounted, and you shall be summoned here again ere the end. So they had fallen into worship of Sauron. And so when they are called to fulfill their oath, not unlike the men of Rohan, Mm. who had sworn to, I mean, this is years prior to the oath of Syrian Mm -hmm. and Errol, but similar circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, they did not answer the call because they had they had become worshippers of Sauron. The difference was Isildur <laughs> apparently had a magic rock. <laughs> I don't know that turns people into ghosts. Oh, and, ghost rock! And he said, and he lays this curse on them for breaking their their oath, and they become the oath breakers. It's not clear to me if they're actually ghosts. Or if they're just like a people that live in the in the books, they're not near. Yeah, on I think Tolkien Gateway calls them shades, like shades. So kind of interesting. Yeah, in the novel, I think they're ghosts. In the novel, it it uh, it was not. I remember reading the first time in the novel. It was not as clear to me what they were. Mm. But yes, I do believe they are like basically people who are were not allowed to like die. Basically, yeah. They were men who were bound to stay where they were until they, their oath was fulfilled. And if you think about that, that's basically like they are not allowed to receive the gift that Ilovater gave to men, right? Yeah. The ability for your soul to go on to the next life, yeah. the next realm, whatever that may be. They're not allowed to do that. Which is so fucking bananas. Think about, I mean, there are some spiritual fucking implications of that. That yeah. is deserving of another episode. But absolutely bananas, um, bananas. So they that I would say that that probably falls under an oath that goes badly for them. Yeah. Um, eventually, Aragorn call rides to Erech and calls upon them to fulfill their oath. And they do. They show yeah. up and fulfill their oath, mostly to scare pirates. Um, (laughs) they are slightly less pivotal in the novels than they are in the movies. Yeah. It's an interesting example because this is specifically an oath breaker example, right? The other ones are all oaths that people tried to fulfill. And this is one, this is, I feel like the one where people were like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. That's dumb. It's like when you do that thing where it's like, you're in an awkward, 
you know, maybe social situation you're trying to get out of and you're like, oh, I swear I'm going to call you. And you know you're not going to call them. You yeah. know. Or like, we should totally get together. I swear we'll make those plans. You're never going to make those plans. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that. I, too, am an oath breaker. So there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, they they do not do that. And they pay for it. Yeah. I don't have a lot more to say about that one. Just fucking sucks for them. Yeah. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep, right? I think that's a good... Yeah. I think that's what Tolkien's trying to tell you. And and it was, like, pretty dope that Aragorn had the ability to be like, okay, I hold your oaths fulfilled. Bye-bye. Yep. Like, wow. It just... I think that also shows how totally dope he is, you know? Yep. The last oath I have of a bummer oath is Thorin's in The Hobbit. So this is a dwarf. Yeah. Thorin the, the dwarf, the leader of the dwarves, who yes. attempts to retake the mountain... From mm-hmm. from Smaug. Smaug. He says, For the Arkenstone of my father, he said, is worth more than a river of gold in, in itself. And for me, it is beyond price. That stone of all the treasure I name unto myself, and I will be avenged upon anyone who finds it and withholds it. Yes. And so he's looking for the Arkenstone. Yes, which is not a fucking Silmaril. Well, people debate not, that. It's not a Silmaril. Okay, but people de- but there a, are Silmaril-esque qualities in it, right? It is it's not a, a Silmaril. It's a, it's a fiery jewel that like that throws beautiful white rainbowy facets fairy, out. Is, the Hobbit is fairy story fan fiction. <laughs> and Tolkien was liberally sampling from his own as yet unpublished yeah. au revoir. And that is why the... In that volume, Unnamed Elf King, mm-hmm. later named Thranduil, is in fact just Thingle with a thin coat of paint on him. <laughs> and that is why the Arkenstone is just a Silmaril with a thin yeah. coat of paint on it. Right. But right. it is no, not a Silmaril. Right. I know. I'm just saying, I just think it's important to point there out is, that yes. people do talk about well, it. The, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason why it is very similar to a Silmaril. Yeah. And that is because Tolkien did not ever intend this story when he wrote it to be a part of Middle-earth. Yeah. That said, it is not a Silmaril because once it was joined into Middle-earth, it was a separate thing. But yes. it's not. But the one, interest, one of the interesting kind of parts of the Arkenstone is that it tends to ensnare its owners, right? And you yeah. become sort of crazy about it and it's hard to yeah. think about anything else. And that's exactly yes. what we're seeing here. And the consequence of that is that because of Thorin's oath and his obsession with it, he dies. I mean, that's the short version. Well, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, no, he, I mean, he does die and yeah. it is only in death that he is reunited with that stupid thing. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, he was a real dick to Bilbo about it. He was a real dick to Bard. I mean, he was a big dick to everybody about it. Yeah. Well, he and got real end, dragon like, sicknessy about it Yeah. and he paid the price. He, he, it cost him his life. Yeah. Um, he could have dealt a lot more graciously with Bilbo and Bard, and I'm sure Bilbo would have been super chill. The whole yeah. reason Bilbo felt the need to, like, be sneaky about it was because Thorin was being such a bag of dicks to yes, Bard ab- about, about the whole situation. The treasure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. You're right. So, like, Thorin, Thorin was uh, a very, very flawed uh, character indeed. Um, yeah. And so then at the end, like, yeah, he's buried in the mountain and the Arkenstone is buried with him, right? So, yep. yep. You got it in the end, buddy. Yeah, right. so don't swear oaths about things. Last of all, we have the two-way of 
Hurin and Turin, who swear an oath to Turgan. Yeah, definitely. Let's give people a little bit of background on this one because this is yeah. one that if it's you haven't read, yeah, yeah. Turgan is the king of the hidden city of Gondolin, an elven city in Beleriand. Yes, this city resides within a hidden veil, and it's the way into the city is a sworn secret. Nobody knows the way in, and that is how it is avoided the wrath of Morgoth for many years. And Morgoth has desired to conquer Gondolin. Hurin and Turin are two men of the house of... Uh, Hador, the house of Thank Hador. You. Yep. The house of yeah, um, Hador. Yeah, was the grandson of the founder of the house of Hador, I believe. Thank you. Yes. They were at the... It was the Nernea Tharanoidiad. Oh, yeah, right. Where they helped the retreating elves... They gave time to Turgon's forces to retreat. Uh, and as a consequence, Hurin and Huar are mm-hmm. brought back to Gondolin. Yeah, they're rescued by, Res- um, by Ulmo, who like plays some mists so they can kind of get away. And then they're flown with the eagles. They're flown into Thank you. Gondolin. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a hot minute since I read that and all the names get me confused. Oh, absolutely. Me too. They end up in Gondolin. And they're fine. They love Gondolin. Gondolin's yeah. pretty dope. It's peaceful. It's quiet. But they're men with restless spirits. And before long, they're both like, this is you know, cool and all, but we would like to maybe, you know, get out of here. More Hurin than Huar, who is pretty into Torgon's daughter. <laughs> yeah, they were very young when they first came, when this all happened. They were like, I think uh, Hurin was like 15 and his, yeah. and uh, Hur was younger than him. So they, they were like young boys, you know, when yeah. this happened. Yeah. And they stayed in Gondolin for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, though, they, they get the king's permission to leave. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they swear an oath of their own volition. The king is just like, yeah, we kind of brought you here against your will. Like, that's, that's kind of a bum deal. Uh, but they say, the king's grace is great indeed, answered Horan. But if our word is not enough, then we will swear oaths to you. And the brothers swore never to reveal the counsels of Turgon and to keep secret all they had seen in his realm. Then they took their leave, and the eagles coming bore them away by night and set them down in Dor Loman before the dawn. Oh, great quote. Yeah. So is that from the Silmarillion or is yes. that from? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, no. That's from Children of Hurin. I think there's a version of it in the, in the Silmarillion. Uh, oh, okay. But that's, that specific quote is from Children of Hurin. So what happens as a consequence of this oath? Well, a couple things. Hurar is, you know, he's all right. He goes on to uh, have a kid, live a life. Not, you know, not too bad. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. His... I mean, okay, yes, it is pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> he's, he is there for the, uh, the fall of Gondolin. Yeah, it's bad. Which is pretty bad. But his child is Tuor, mm-hmm. who, again, he is one of, the found, one of the founders of the pyramid, not unlike Baron, one of the founders of this pyramid of half-elvendom. Yeah. Right. Horan, on the other hand, yeah. kind of gets fucked. Well, he goes off and he becomes a, he gets married and he, you know, like has some kids. But then, unfortunately, yeah. like there's a, yeah, there's, but he stayed friends with um, Turgon, right? King Turgon of Gondolin this whole time. And yeah. the rumor got out that, that he was, that they were buddies and that he might know where Gondolin was. And that is his yeah. downfall, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I had the, I had uh, 
my timeline mixed up. It was they were rescued and brought to Gondolin as children. And it was right. years later at the Nirneath Arnoidiad that they covered the retreat of Turgon. Huar was killed. Right. And Hurin has his epic moment where he's literally standing on a fucking like mountain of orcs with an axe screaming, Aure and Tuluva, they shall come again when he is finally like buried under a body of orcs mm. and a, what's it called? Um, Gothmog, uh, who is a, Bal- a lord of Balrogs, basically, a, like a, a, a chief Balrog hauls him off to Morgoth to be mm-hmm. a prisoner. At which point, Morgoth says to him, like, okay, give it up. Give up Gondolin and you're fine. Give, you know, tell me where it is and, and I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. But because of his oath, he holds to his oath. And as a consequence, he gets to sit in a throne atop the mountains and watch every awful thing happen to his children. For 28 years. Yeah, for 28 years, he watches <laughs> his son Turin just fuck everything up. Yeah. Fuck everything like... up. His wife gets, like, chased from one place to another by battles. Mm-hmm. His daughter loses her memory. His daughter and son do the horizontal tango. Uh, and then his daughter throws herself off a waterfall uh, yeah. when, they, when she recovers her memory. And Turin throws himself on his sword when he finds out. Yeah, it's so tragic, you guys. It's That's all the up. tale of the children of Hurin. It's so crazy. The, I, can't, I mean, look, if you were going to make a Tolkien movie or miniseries or something, the, yeah. the children of Hurin would be a fucking epic one. Oh, yeah. Because be it's so mostly tragic. self-contained and it's super yeah. tragic and, and, and messed up. I also like that the first thing... Well, not the first thing. Hurin goes around and basically just like screams at everybody after that. He goes and like everybody that Turin interacted with that he thinks like messed with Turin, he like kills or <laughs> yells at. Yeah. Uh, and he eventually ends up at in, in Menegroth at, at, at Thingol's door just basically being like, fuck you. And yeah. Melian is like, no, I mean, well, yes, but like mostly yeah. fuck Morgoth. And he's like, all right, fine. And then he leaves and parks it and dies at his children's grave. Yeah, with his dead wife. Yeah, I think he kills himself, actually. It's quite the... Um, yeah. He unalives himself, which is very sad. Um, this, is, I mean, this is a very interesting oath, right? This was an oath. So if he had just given up the location of Gondolin, you know, could he have saved his himself and his family from all of this? Who knows? But he kept the oath to the detriment of like so so many like yeah Turin fucked up a lot of things right like yeah. holy shit yeah yeah so it, it's an interesting one what would uh, what would you have done Jude would you have, I, I mean ed, anyone comes near me with anything pokey I'm gonna just tell them immediately what they want to know torture will work on me for sure <laughs> what about you yeah I think I would have held it yeah I that's mean, good because because here's the thing had I given them. The location, like it probably the same horrible shit would have befallen us anyway. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? It's Morgoth. He is the Yeah, he, he's a tricky there's bastard. No guarantee whatsoever that anything would have been different except Agreed. That you would have been directly responsible for the fall of Gondolin. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that is I mean, and here and, and in the end, like, yeah, I mean, it Gondolin fell. Like it was gonna fall no matter what. And um, yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. Oh, what a bitch. <laughs> oh, these oaths are tough, Jude. They're killing me. Yeah. So that's kind of all the oaths we have. I'm sure there's more, maybe. Let us know if you if there's yeah. some we forgot. Um, these um, are kind of some big ones, though. Yeah. yeah. The last thing we want to talk about, Steph found some really great quotes from The Lord of the Rings, specifically with regards to Elrond, where he doesn't make someone swear an oath, which yeah. I think is fucking fascinating. Yeah. Elrond, you know, as we know, was caught up in the oaths of Feanor in a way, right? He was part of that kinslaying and everything, lost his mom and his dad to it in a roundabout way. So I feel like Elrond, you know, being so wise and awesome, he would know that oaths are a bad idea. And in the Fellowship of the Ring, book two, chapter three, the ring goes south. Elrond is bidding farewell to the fellowship. And he's saying like, listen, listen, y'all, the ring bearer is the only one who's like, on which this charge is laid, right? The only one who has to do this is the ring bearer. The rest of you, please feel free to turn back, to, to go a different path along the way, right? And he says, the further you go, the less easy it will be to withdraw. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will, for you do not yet know the strength of your hearts. And you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. And Gimli kind of balks at this. And he says, um, faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, said Gimli. But Elrond, like, takes a moment, you know, they, there's like a little back and forth there. And Gimli sort of says, like, yeah, but we sometimes you need these words to, like, you know, steal your heart. And Elrond comes back and he's like, maybe, said Elrond, but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the nightfall. And I love that. So Alrond is pushing back. I feel like Gimli in that moment wants to swear something, right? He wants yeah. to like make a big gesture. And Elrond is saying, no, let's not Been do there. that. Because, yeah. Been there. Done that. <laughs> yeah. Let's Bad not. times. Uh, yep. Let's not swear yeah. oaths that we can't uh, be sure how they'll go. Uh, and like, what a beautiful thing. Like that's, and that, I feel like that is a gift that Elrond is giving them, right? Like yeah. he's not and I tying think it's also that their it's, fate to yeah. this fucking ring. And I think, look at what happens. It's only friendship binds this, fel the fellowship together. Yeah. And to, to great success. It's yeah. the love, you know, the, their love for each other and their friendship is what keeps them going. Not some, not an oath that, you know, puts, mm -hmm. puts this artificial restriction on them. Yeah, that's so pure and beautiful. And that's, I think, the reason in the end why they succeed, right? Yeah. Well, that's all we have. Closing thoughts. Yeah. So why why is this important? Why, why yeah. do we need to, like, why do we need to keep this in mind as we kind of read the legendarium and think about yeah. these things? I think, so what I want people to think about as they read The Lord of the Rings, as they read The Silmarillion, and as they watch the the, the movies and as they watch Rings of Power as well, I think, Oaths are not a promise. Oaths are not a thing that you say and then you feel bad about when you break. Oaths have active agency in Middle-earth. Whether or not you invoke Eru, although that certainly seems to be an extra go-gear for fucking yourself, <laughs> whether or not you actively invoke Eru, it would seem that that Eru gives an oath agency to see it out. And if you swear an oath for ill intent, 
it will pursue and punish you as a curse, if not an oath. And I think it's useful to think to, to bear that in mind that oaths are not casually sworn. They will live beyond the swearing. Feanor takes that oath and his sons and all the Noldor suffer as a consequence. And Finrod makes a promise and is ensnared by it later on. And Hurin makes, a pro- makes an oath that he doesn't need to make and is ensnared by it. These, these, are, these people make these oaths and are trapped by them. And I, I don't know, I'm not sure what the message there is. I do think there's a, a degree to which it's a literary trope that Tolkien is perpetuating. I don't know if there's a, a personal th- ideology that Tolkien has that is being expressed as well. I don't think so. I think it's more of a lit- like the literary trope that he's, he's repeating. But I think it's interesting either way. Yeah, I like to remember the, vo- the, uh, the, the words of John Spur from the beginning, of, from our introduction. In short, an oath is a provisional self-curse. I just love that so much. And um, we have seen that very clearly throughout these examples. And so, yeah, I think if, I think if you're, as you're reading, like, you know, as we said, we may have, we may have missed a few oaths here and there or, or moments where people are swearing things to each other. Like, remember, if you come across that, like, there are huge repercussions that come with that. So don't. Don't invoke those things lightly, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Jude, for leading us through these. This is a very interesting topic. I think we're going to see it play out in the rings of power in a very big way. Yeah, I have Um, a suspicion so. Yeah. So this is a great topic as like our sort of last topic before this show crashes upon, you know, upon all of us like a wave upon upon the shore. I, I suspect that the fandom is about to see another seismic expansion the same way that we did when the films came out so i'm excited which is great yeah same here it's so it's so cool because you know for at least for Athrobeth, like our mission has always been that we wanted to explore the lesser trod paths we wanted to look at the legendarium and the things that are not accessed as readily as kind of the main text and now we're gonna have like a whole bunch of new folks joining us on that on that uh journey and that's that's very exciting that is going to be driving people into the appendices and the Silmarillion. I, I could not be more excited about that. Absolutely. And hopefully they'll they'll even go farther than that and, and yeah. flush out with other things too. Because, you know, as we know, there is so much here. And, and the reason why it is uh, so compelling is because Tolkien poured so much of his heart <laughs> and soul into yeah, it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for all your work on this, Jude. This was excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, if anyone, uh, come come, in, come into our Discord and let us know how you feel about these O's. We want to hear from you. Yeah. The road may go ever on and on, but this episode is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at podcast.atherbeth.com. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Atherbeth underscore cast. Jude can be found at Aramidic Jude, and I can be found at the North 4, F-O-U-R. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings, whoa, uh, by Pony Music. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
courtesy of Bond 5. Today's episode and all of our episodes was produced and are produced by the lovely James Pearson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I am at the point when I listen to our episodes, I skip the music so that I don't let it contaminate my Stop. mind with the, with the, the truth of what our music sounds like. You're the worst. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah.